And it really goes back to, you know, the struggles that you had early in your career. Um, You know, this is giving people, well, it's identifying the problem. You know, there's a lot of problems, but people have the answers. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And as leaders, as people, people, your job is to figure that out and how to bring out the onlyness, how to enable the onlyness to, to rise to the occasion so that you can maximize value creation for your entire team. Mm, not the truth. And so, you know, the opposite of onlyness is conformity. And conformity is how, in fact, you know, talk about educational systems. We often teach conformity because we ask people to, to learn to attest. Yep. Um, it's how we enforce conformity when we say, oh, really, in this room, only the loud people get heard. So everyone then learns how to be loud, not how to be actually smart, but how to be loud. Um, we reinforce the note. So there's a whole different way, set of ways in which conformity has been showing up. And there's, there's tons of research on the antecedents of conformity and the consequences of inf- conformity. But conformity is the default culture. Mm-hmm. And so in order for right. us to change that, we actually have to name it, first of all, and then go, okay, so how do we actually... Uh, switch that it's by actually seeing that each of us has value and then starting to go okay if we have those specific needs that each of us has then how do you actually start to as a leader really tune in Mm -hmm. and instead of going gosh I have to manage all my people in fact somebody who's actually a great leader I just talked to taking over a new organization and he was talking about how he's now having 14 one-on-ones with people because he has 14 people to meet with and he meets with them and uh, and I was thinking after I hung up because there was so much he was doing right I was thinking, I wonder if he's asked, what's the best way that you need to be managed? Because that would let him modulate too. Mm -hmm. And that's his next level of learning, right? So that'll be the next conversation we probably end up having. That makes so much sense. Um, As somebody who may not be in a, a particular leadership role or may have a small team, they're probably thinking, okay, I can, I can try to cultivate onlyness in my team. I can work on getting everybody heard, but how do you cultivate your own onlyness? I mean, it already exists, so you don't have to cultivate it. I shouldn't say that, but how do you bring it out? How do you value your own onlyness? You know, most of us, I'll just tell a story of a, uh, it's actually a really dear friend. And uh, for the longest time, she was doing sales operations, revenue management kind of work. We've met, so we've known each other for a long time. We met at work. Um, And she would say to me, I can't be a vice president because I'm not like a data spreadsheet person. That's not who I am. That's what's needed at this next level. That's just not who I am. So I'm not going to do that. It was interesting because at one point I said, what is it that you actually do really well? And it was something, as it turns out, um, she'd been doing since she was like four years old she could create order out of absolute chaos. And she did it first from a sort of a trauma story when she was young, where her family was a little, you know, not organized and really created a lot of chaos. And so what she was doing, she would actually write a calendar 
she would actually, as a four-year-old, write out a calendar of what's happening. And she was just trying to create order for herself. Like you could just see her kind of trying to figure out how to manage these other people around her by creating a calendar. And today she can be in a room and go like, oh, well, if you do this and we do this and then that happens, we'll be able to actually figure out how to, it's almost like, you know, that fire, passing the fire pails to one another so not enough water gets spilled out. If you just improve the process, all the water gets transferred much more effectively. She is that person. She's the person who would set up the line and be like, okay, here's how we're going to transfer and here's how we're going to improve things. And then all of a sudden the fire would get put out. She is that person. And she can do it around anything now because she's just had good experience, channel programs, business models, like her, her expertise is this. And when she finally said, oh my God, I can create, let's see, I can square, I can square the swirls. That was the phrase. And, and create order out of that. And that actually turns out most of the reason we're losing efficiency inside our business model stuff is because nobody sat around and just thought for a second oh my God, we're losing stuff here. We're losing stuff here. We're losing stuff here. If we connect those dots, we fix a bunch of things. And I said, so that seems like incredibly valuable. Like I just was doing that. <laughs> that <seems> incredible <laughs> leadership work. And that lets everyone be so much better. And you're really good at then also figuring out what's the thing we need to solve for. Right. And she's like, yeah. And I go, so you could probably hire a data spreadsheet person. Right. <laughs> and you can just see me having this conversation. Right. You're kind of laughing, but here's the problem. She was discounting yeah. the very thing. And you know why she was discounting it? Because it was also her trauma story. Mm. So she didn't want that early experience, right? Like who does? Who wants that experience of my people are not taking good care of me, so I'm having to take care of me and I shouldn't have had to as a four-year-old. So she is sitting there telling herself that's a bad thing. Mm. It's not and, worth enough. Right. It's not worth enough. And also like it's a coping mechanism. That's not mm -hmm. actually a skill. It's a coping mechanism. <laughs> and, and I'm like, actually, it can be both, right? It can be a coping mechanism that's turned into a skill. And I'm and I was getting her to appreciate this. And and what was happening was she was telling herself what she saw rewarded already, which is the McKinsey type right. skills and the data spreadsheet skills. And I said, but the reality is. Somebody on the team surely needs to do the data. So I'm not trying to say that's not important. Of course. But somebody who's so much better at it is going to love to do it. And what you're not valuing is what you bring. And that's where I always start with people is like, what's the thing that you're going to always do because you cannot not do it? Right? It's like it's right. almost compulsive on your part. Yeah. And, um, and so do that thing and do it really, really well because that's the thing. It's just going to be a gift. So like for me, you know, I look at, I've probably in, done 30 TED Talks where I help frame somebody else's talk. They bring it to me and I go, yeah, that's not really the talk. Here's the other talk. Here's the key line, <laughs> right? And it's because for me, it's just so obvious where the pieces that's their nugget. And then I help that, you know, fit into that. Nobody knows I've done that. I mean, I'm sitting here trying to tell you, but nobody knows that, you know, certain lines that you use like this background in society are lines I wrote. It doesn't matter. It's my gift, right? Right. right? And I'm going to use that gift and I'm going to fix business models wherever I can, because that's just my gift is to connect those dots, to, to figure out how to solve for the actual problem that needs to be solved. And I cannot not do that. Right. And so it's actually like, it's my, it's, it's both compulsion. It's, it's like, then it's such a, when somebody brings that kind of problem to me, it's also an opportunity for me to do the one thing I'm really good at. So thank you for giving me the opportunity to add value in that way, right? And that's what we're looking for is this matchup. Mm -hmm. But we can't do it if we're not like okay with just being whatever it is that we are. 
right? We don't have to be somebody else's version of excellence. We have to be our version of excellence. And that means celebrating and centering on that spot in the world, only one stance. And that's what I think is the big shift is most of us are so used to walking away from ourselves. We don't even know it when we've done it. Right. And so I'm like, no, no, just walk right back to that body stand right there. Now, what is it that you have to offer? Even if right now you think it's really small, just for a minute, just stand right there. And people have these beautiful gifts, each of us. That's really the big tenet of what I'm starting with, right? Which is, I actually believe everyone has value to offer. And then the challenge is whether or not organizations know how to tap it. Yeah, the the crazy thing in this is that each person is valuable. Each person has a skill or a trait or something that makes them unique and, and important. But we almost have to either get out of our own way or we've devalued that so much that we've, we don't recognize that that is actually something that other people value as well. And yeah, if you can't value it, how can anyone else value it? Right. Right. It's the most obvious thing, but it goes back to the coursework of spirituality and business, which is if we don't honor that interior energy, that's animating us. Mm -hmm. That's what spirit is. The very definition of spirit to me is what is that interior energy that's already animating us that if we then step into it can activate ideas into the larger world. So just honor that. I, I'm, I'm, I know we could talk for hours about this, but I'm going to leave it there because I think that's an incredibly powerful place for people to ruminate. And I want to thank you for bringing all of this to our attention. Um, this has been an incredible conversation. I'm so glad to have done it with you, Jennifer.